Rusty Quill presents. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I've never kept a diary before. I never liked the idea. I'd try sometimes. I've got half a dozen notebooks where the first page says, Dear Diary, but I'd make one entry and never add anything else afterwards. I couldn't stop myself from reading the words back and there was something about seeing those moments laid out like that, which, yeah. Well, let's just say I never wanted to write more afterwards. I always wrote diary entries in a fit of emotions. When mum would tell me I wasn't allowed something or dad broke another promise, the vulnerability of it, I, I don't know. In the beginning, this was supposed to be a goodbye to whoever would find it. You, whoever you are. Me? Nash, maybe? I don't know. I wanted... Honestly, part of my motivation for starting this was so that I wouldn't leave my mum wondering like she had to after Dad died. Didn't want her to have to go through that again. I've thought a lot about my dad, you know, about what he did. I've worked through the full spectrum of possible feelings about it, I think. I just... I can't see a reason he'd have been out on that road where he died if it wasn't to step out into it. But he left no note. And we were all left to put the pieces together. I've been thinking about Mum a lot too. About what that did to her when he died. And that time at least there was a what and a when, if not a why. And what have I done now? I've just gone. Just like that. This is Not Quite Dead. Episode 19, Wannabe. Nej and I have been trying to fix things around the house a little. I say fix... Neither of us is particularly practical, but we've been cleaning things up. We've ordered beds, rugs. Nej has bought us a generator for electricity. I asked him where he got the money and he just sort of scoffed. He said, I am older than money. Like that was an answer to the question, which it isn't, to be frank. It's nice to have a bed, but I don't know. It's also weird. The first few days here, Nerj and I slept curled up on the floor of what I think used to be the dining room. I moved up here to this room, one of the old bedrooms, at the end of the first week. Partly because I just needed some space and also because... Yeah. Nerj, he's... <sighs> yeah, he's Nerj. I'm not sure where Nerj sleeps. Somewhere on the other side of the house, I think. He knows I want space, and I do. But it's strange to be this far from him. I don't get that same feeling I have about Casper. I don't feel Paul taut when he's not nearby. It's more like 
a low level amount of awareness. Like you're wearing shoes that are too tight. It doesn't hurt exactly, not at first, but you notice. Every time you take a step, you notice. It's worse when he's out of the house, of course. There are so many things to learn in this new life. So many things I didn't even know to anticipate. But then, how could I have known, really? Casper left. He left. I know he didn't mean to stay away. I know it's not his fault, but he left. I feel the ropes that bind me to him so tightly. Like ropes around my diaphragm. He left. If Nerj hadn't found me, I'd be dead. Nej said I'm the first vampire Cass has ever tried to make without Antoinette forcing his hand, but he also said that I'm not the first human Cass has slept with. And that... Mm, I just don't know. I just... It's not... It's not that I want to be special. Actually, it is a bit. I do want to be special to him. That's okay, right? It's okay to want to be special to people we love like that. I'm aware I'm being pathetic about it. I sort of want to pick Nej's brain about it, but it's the kind of thing that makes him stiffen up. He's real loquacious until I actually want him to talk. Sure, he'll say stuff, but I get the impression he's keeping things from me. And like, honestly, it's fair, isn't it? He's only known me two months. Why would he spill his guts to me, you know? But it does feel a bit unbalanced because he's listened to these stupid tapes. If you're listening again, Nej, I swear to God, I... I bet you're laughing that way you do. That little laugh. Yeah. Anyway, turn off the tape. These aren't for you. They're for me, or... I don't know. Hopefully I'll beat the odds and I'll live longer than a year. And if I do, I'm going to want this. I'm going to want to be able to look back on this and know why I made the choices I did. Nej is right about one thing. If I didn't become a vampire, I would have died. And I wouldn't give up what happened between Casper and I for anything. Which is two things, isn't it? Oh, who cares? When Dad died, Mum was... For a while she was sad in a normal way you'd expect someone to be sad. I'd come home and she'd be lying in bed, sometimes with her shoes on, just lying there. I don't think she ate or drank anything unless Grace or I brought it to her directly. Sometimes she'd cry, but mostly she was just still and quiet. I tried to give her as much space as I could. Grace was only eight when Dad died. Tammy was just less than a year old. I was in my late teens, so... Yeah. Without much family nearby, it was my job to step up. Mum's aunt, Helen, would come over from Hull, but she had her own kids in high school, you know? Dad's parents lived in Kent, but they were so, so old that when they visited for the funeral, it wasn't really a help for us. It was, yeah. They died too, a couple of years after Dad, three months apart from each other. Everyone on that side of the family said it was from a broken heart. I didn't like the way they said that. Sort of accusatory. Sometimes they'd look at Mum like it was somehow her fault that he'd walked out into oncoming traffic, like... That was only because they didn't see what she was like when they weren't around. She'd started to thaw out by then. It was mid-July when he died. God, fucking 13 and a bit years ago now. Jesus. 
I'd been supposed to go to nursing school in Glasgow, but I deferred a year after Dad was hit. Sometimes Tammy asks about him. When she was littler, she used to play this game where she'd get Grace and I to answer questions about him. God, I remember this one time when she was asking if he was any good at cooking. I said, no way, he didn't care about cooking at all. And Grace was like, I don't know, he's pretty good at a roast. And I just felt this sinking feeling inside of me, right? Just this awful feeling of guilt. But I also just couldn't stop myself from laughing because he wasn't any good at a roast. He just bought everything from the frozen section. It was all Betty Crocker stuff out the freezer. Grace's eyes went so wide. You're kidding, she said. Nope. And then she said, I've been missing Dad's roast for years and you're telling me I could have had one if I had just gone to Iceland. That's what you're saying. <laughs> Pretty much, I said. Grace sighed. The audacity, she said. <laughs> I laughed so much, I thought I was going to pop a lung. <sighs> Tammy asked what audacity meant. I think I told her it was like being cheeky. She wanted to know if Dad was cheeky and like, no, he wasn't. But he could be funny if you understood his sense of humour. Not in a dark way or anything, just pretty, like, it's divisive. I'll tell you his favourite joke, right? Red sky at night, shepherd's delight. Blue sky at night, day. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Oh, and uh, there are two types of people in this world. Those who can extrapolate from incomplete data. <laughs> I remember we told that one to Tammy and she said, what's the other type, bless her? She was only six or seven, I think. Oh, I have not been there for her in the past few years. Oh. I, uh, it's complicated, though. She was a baby when Dad died, so he just straight up wasn't there to parent her and Mum. She loved us, but there was a good three, four years where she just did not, like, engage. I get it, I do. But that first year after Dad... It was like she was at the bottom of a lake. A lake that had completely frozen over. She started to thaw out a bit after the first anniversary of his death. It didn't get easier, him being gone, but... I don't know. It was like... It was the second school year without him. The second Christmas, you know? It wasn't any better, but it wasn't brand new anymore. His absence started to feel normal though it didn't necessarily hurt any less. I decided not to go to Glasgow, to stay local in York. Trying to balance that degree against essentially raising my sisters was... It was tough. Mum, though she was thawing out, she... Yeah. She could only really cope with being a person. She couldn't quite do the parenting thing yet. I'm not mad at her for that, you know... It's not her fault. It was shit. I just hope she doesn't do that again now. I just... Uh, I hope Haley gave them the note. I don't know if having a note off Dad would have helped much, but... I don't know. I feel like the not knowing was part of it. It was for me. I wasn't mad at him for killing himself. Not really, but for not telling us? Not even saying goodbye? Uh, I mean... Maybe it really was an accident. Fucking no. It wasn't. We know it wasn't. There was no reason for him to even be out on that road. It's it's fine. But this is what I mean. The ambiguity, that possibility, it, it kills you. It's like this cut on the roof of your mouth. You can't stop prodding. It's... I've been 
been so busy with work. I think after what happened with Ben, I think I just sort of... I worked more so I didn't have to think, I guess. It started before we even broke up. I met him at uni and things started going south pretty soon after we moved in together and I just... I wanted to hide from it. So I worked. I'd actually wanted to do paediatric nursing. Show the kids scream, but none of them ever called me a cunt, you know? But after a year or two, I switched to emergency because... Because I did. Because I didn't want to think. I saw less of Tammy and Grace because I started avoiding my mum. I was avoiding my mum because... Fucking... She didn't like Ben. It was so obvious she didn't like him. He didn't like her either. He'd make a big noise about how she'd exploited me and stolen my childhood by failing to cope with her own grief, or whilst expecting me to do all his laundry and cook all his meals after working a 14-hour shift because, apparently, he never learned the meaning of the word irony. And now he's dead. I washed his blood off my legs in the shower. I watched it swirl down the drain. He's dead. I always liked his mum. She was nice. She didn't deserve a son like that. She didn't deserve to lose him that way. Fuck. This is going to ruin my mum. It... Fuck. Grace is halfway through a degree. She's going to have to... She's going to get dragged back to York to look after mum and Tammy because there just isn't anyone else. And what am I doing? I'm sitting on the floor in this mouldy house talking to myself. I've left them. I've abandoned them. This is so much worse than what happened with Dad because I had so much more of a choice. They don't know that, but, like, I know. I fucking know, all right? It's my decision. I've walked away from them, and there's an extent to which it's about making them safer, but also, also, it's incredibly, incredibly, unresolvably selfish of me. They are suffering, and it's my fault. My fault for not leaving it alone, like Casper told me to in the beginning. For carrying on with him, for kissing him, for fucking him, for... Everything that's happened, it's not all my fault, but a lot of it is my fucking fault. I should have managed this better. If I'd managed things better, I, I don't know, I wouldn't have fallen in with fucking literal vampires, and I could actually show up and be there for the people I love. And they are never going to know what really happened. They'll never know I did this because I was trying to keep them safe from my stupid decisions. I think they'd be angry at me if they did know. Mum would be all like, that's very self-righteous of you, Alfie. And maybe she's right, but at least she'd get it. She'd know this wasn't something I did lightly, you know? She'd know I was trying to save Casper. Ugh. Not that I've been able to do much of that, even. No, she's right. I know he's right. I would be worse than useless if I tried to help Cass now, but... It doesn't make me feel any better to be sitting here doing nothing when God knows what is happening to him. I keep thinking about the day we found Moira in the river, all her teeth knocked out, like the vampire Casper found in the coal shed in Romania, disarmed. Has someone done that to him? My Casper pulled out his lovely two sharp teeth, turned him into something writhing and hissing and too hungry to think. There was so much he never said. So much he never told me. He never even mentioned Nej existed. Nej, who knows him well enough and cares about him deeply enough that, that when he got word that Cass was in danger, he came looking for him. 
Neshu trusts Cass's judgement so implicitly that his apparent decision to keep me alive is enough to make Nej want to help me, no questions asked. You'd mention Nej, surely. Nej and the fact that you'd slept with other humans. He told me... He told me this was the first time he'd drunk enough of someone's blood to make that bond between us. Did that mean he didn't bite the others, or that he fucked them and then just ate them? Something Nej said. What was it? That Casper had left me alive? He's taken a bunch of humans to bed with them, and I'm the only one he's left alive. And he nearly didn't. He, he nearly killed me in the car, and those days afterwards he was so strange and withdrawn whilst he cared for me. I was so weak, so exhausted, it never even... I was so frustrated that he was angry with himself for slipping up, but if it had happened before, if it was a pattern, if he was expecting me to die... Fuck! Nej is... <laughs> he's wrong. Casper didn't pick me. He never told me all about what it was like to be a vampire because he didn't think I was going to make it. It wasn't because he was ashamed. He just, it just, he wasn't expecting me to live. Like a fucking iPhone, he was going to move on and get another one. Fuck! Fuck! It's been ages since I've killed anyone. Bullshit! Bullshit! He didn't tell me about Nej because Nej is fucking important and I'm not an... I... But... <sighs> Maybe I'm getting carried away. Just because he kept stuff from me, it doesn't mean he doesn't care about me. He had 200 years of stuff, that's a lot of stuff, and he did share some of it. He told me about Antoinette and Paulina, you don't trust just anyone with that stuff, do you? I just... Oh, I have such a little gauge for what he was like outside of, you know, us. Our relationship kind of ate me alive. <laughs> kind of literally, I guess. <laughs> oh, it could be so gentle. He could be so small. He could be so... so... Casper. Maybe the reason he slept with other humans is because he hated vampires so much. Maybe that's why he didn't tell me about Nej. Maybe Nej is the one who's lying to me by omission. But like, again, if we're making concessions for having just lived so long, it'd be unreasonable to expect anything close to a thorough rundown of what happened in your life then. Nej definitely qualifies for some leeway there. I still don't know how old he is, but he's extremely fucking old, that much I can gather. Now I'm just like, are we talking remembers the Roman Empire old, you know? <sighs> what must I seem like to him? This tiny nothing person he's been saddled with, and for what? I've been going into the city with him, sometimes. Leeds, not York. Nej rightly thinks that it would be stupid for me to go back to York so soon after leaving. Too many people know me. I'd be recognised. And I'm missing. I wonder what he knows about that, if anything. I wonder if he cares. I guess human lives must seem small, short and unimportant when you've been alive as long as he has. The way he hunts is... Yeah. We go to clubs. Anywhere dark, crowded, where people are off their faces. You can smell it. The level of intoxicated they are. Under the rich smell of blood, you can smell the booze, the coke, the molly. Find a mark, dance with them. I remember Casper kissing me in the car, making me forget. That powerful haziness that slipped over my brain. I have to think that Nej is doing something similar half the time. I can see something in people's eyes, a glaze that's different to the drugs. 
like a moth drawn to an electric light bulb. It helps that Nerja is so beautiful, I think, like a terrible cherub amidst the gyrating dancers. His eyes are steely blue-grey most of the time, but as he goes in to bite, they swirl a deep, lustrous red. The colour moves, like sped-up clouds across his irises, entrancing, hallucinatory. He takes people's faces in his hands, sinks his teeth into their necks. I smell the sweet rush of endorphins as he drinks them slow and deep. Then he takes my hand, puts it on their hip, turns them to me. They look at me, their eyes half-lidded, lips bitten, hearts racing, blood running in thick lines from the bites Nerge has left on them. And I lean close. I can taste the cold whisper of Nesha's spit around the edge of the wound, like a cool breeze through a sauna. And then, then, I can taste the blood. Rich, thick, sweet. I feel the sickening jolt of my heart bursting to life, matching the humans at first, but then racing away too fast, so fast it hurts. An exquisite sort of pain that opens up a whole area of pleasure inside of me that I never even knew I had the capacity for. And then I feel Nerja's fingernails on my hips, and with a gasp I let go. He's taught me how to lick and press the bites closed with soft presses of my lips, almost like kisses painting me red. The humans waver a little, sometimes stumbling into someone close to them. But they were already wasted. I could taste the alcohol and the other drugs in their blood, a heady mix like seasonings in a well-crafted dish. It's so hard to let them go. The worst is when they leave the club afterwards. When I take it a little too far and they're too giddy to stand upright and their kind friends apologise to us and help them out of the club to go home. My mind races away from me as I, as I watch them stumble through the doors. If I followed, I could take them easily. They're already weak. It would take so little effort to overpower them. I could drink and drink and drink. This one guy... Nej handed him to me, and when I bit him, I felt him get hard in his jeans. He moaned in the most delightful way, and his blood was this delicious, nuanced blend of alcohol and nicotine and a rich, varied diet. He swayed his hips against mine, and as I fell deeper and deeper into that wide, dark pit of pleasure inside myself, he gasped, and the flavour of him shifted. A rush of oxytocin and dopamine, like new flavours twisting into a dish. It made me shiver. It made me ache. No wonder Cass always bit me when I came. It was the most exquisite thing I've ever tasted. So divine it flipped some switch in me, and I leaned closer, my arms creeping up from his hips to his shoulder blades, locking fast in place. I felt his knees give out. I didn't care. Nerj was digging his nails into my hips, but I didn't care about that either. The sharp bite of pain only heightened what I was feeling. Nerj slid his hands up my sides, and I swear to fuck, no touch has ever felt like that to me before. I was fully clothed, but I felt completely wrecked. I was still biting hard on this guy's neck, holding him up between the swaying dancers, and then Nerj bit me right where my neck meets my shoulder. Hard, fast, brutal. The bright white hot point of pain shuddered through my whole body like an electric shock. I gasped, and the man tumbled to the ground, out of my arms. The dancers around us didn't even really notice, except to glance down at him when his prone form interrupted their dancing. I could hear his heart thudding, smell his slow breaths. 
I turned around, and Nurge was standing a few feet back from me. His mouth was red with my blood. He was breathing hard and heavy. He stared at me, the strobe catching his dark red eyes as they swirled and shifted. My heart was slowing in my chest again, the giddy intoxication of the man's blood already beginning to recede in my mind. Nash, I said, and I reached for him, but he stepped back. He shook his head once, firmly, and wiped his mouth with the palm of his hand. He reached down to the guy on the floor, the guy I'd almost killed, and pulled him upright. You could tell I'd taken too much from him just from the colour of his lips. He was going to need medical attention. The bite on his neck was bleeding sluggishly. Nerj licked it and pressed his palm over the injury. When he dropped his hand, the spot was smeared with blood again, but the injury had almost completely vanished. He'd used my blood to seal the wound. My ears were ringing. Nerj told me to take the guy to the bouncer, so I did. The bouncer looked pretty furious, then Nerj stepped in, speaking fast, feigning drunkenness, and also an inability to speak fluent English. I stepped away. I couldn't feel my legs. I sat down heavily on the curbside. I kept thinking about how easy it would have been to kill that man. I kept thinking about how easy it would be to just step out into the road. Nerj's pale, blood-smeared hand reached into my line of vision, holding a lit cigarette. I didn't think they did anything for us, I said. They don't, said Nerj, blowing a cloud into the sky, but it might make you feel better. I took a long, slow drag. I could feel the smoke inside my lungs. That immediate relief of tension, a placebo ahead of the real chemical relief, washed over me. I'd never feel the nicotine again, but this was familiar. Comforting, almost. Can't get cancer anymore, either, said Nej. Is that a fact? I asked him. Nej sat down on the curb with me. You ask all the wrong questions, he said. I told him to tell me what the right ones were. He smiled and shook his head. Why do you think it is that vampires shy away from looking closer at the science of it all? He asked me. He looked up at the sky, blew a cloud of smoke up towards the stars. I don't know, I told him, and I don't. Nerj patted me on the back. You will understand, he told me quietly. Aren't you going to tell me off, I said. For what, says Nerj. I nearly killed that man, I said. I know. Nesh said. Why would that mean you need telling off? I stared at Nesh, my mouth falling open slightly. We don't want to just kill random guys in random clubs in Leeds, do we? No, of course we don't, he said, which is why we didn't. I tried to point out how close I'd got, how very near to falling into that pit within myself I'd come, but Nesh wouldn't let me finish. I told you I wouldn't let you drown in it, and I didn't, he said. I opened my mouth, closed it again. Nej flicked the part of my muscle he'd bitten. The bite had already mostly healed, but it was still tender and bruised feeling, and the flick sent a quiver of pain through all of my bones. I told you, said Nej. Trust me or don't, I'll help regardless. His bites left a scar, next to the ones Cass made in me. I can't tell you how exactly, but this scar feels different to the ones I got when I was human. Nej says as far as he knows, it's only vampire teeth that can scar vampire skin like this. Nej's bite is more ragged than Cass's. Two crescent moons of almost iridescent skin, 
the place where his slightly too long canines went deeper than the others, showing up as slightly raised circles like slices of pearl. His bottom teeth are crooked, one in the middle standing in front of all the others, making the half-moon of his lower jaw thicker in the middle than the top one. If he'd licked the wound, it wouldn't have scarred. I wonder if he left it on purpose, and if he did, what that purpose was. Is it to remind me not to kill? Or that it'll stop me before I fall into the pit? <sighs> anyway, I still don't trust him. Quite Dead is a podcast written, edited, and performed by Aira Major under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution license. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash Studios. Live. Laugh. Bite.